0: Hello and welcome to the Australia-Indonesia Centre and our In Conversation webinar about agriculture, technology and investment in Indonesia. I'm Helen Brown. I acknowledge the traditional owners, the Kulin Nations, of the land from which I'm hosting today's webinar in Melbourne, Victoria and the Yugara people of the land on which our guest, Dr Scott Waldron, is joining us from in Brisbane and Queensland. And for all our speakers, we pay our respects to Elders past, present and future. Now, as you know, the Centre's mission is to build on the links between the two countries. And one of the ways we do that is through these webinars. We bring together researchers, industry, civil society and government To discuss some of the important issues that we are are grappling with. And the coronavirus pandemic has reminded us very well as to how important our food supply and our food supply chain is um, to the health of a nation and to our global stability. The focus really is on food, agriculture, and technology and the role that technology and investment plays in um, this very important sector. Now, we're going to discuss all that with four fabulous guest speakers. Before I do that though, uh, before I introduce them to you, we are very fortunate today to be joined by a very special opening speaker. Bapakanang Nogroho Setyo Muljono is the Director of Food and Agriculture at Bapanas. Now, Bapanas is the Indonesian government's agency in charge of the planning, policy, and strategy for the nation's development programs including urgent and large-scale programs. And as you can imagine, agriculture and food are a very significant part of that development planning. Could you please welcome, wherever you are listening to this webinar, Anang Negroho Setyo Muljono for the opening remarks. Thank you very
1: much indeed, uh, Ibu Helen. Selamat pagi. Very good morning to all of you. Uh, Thank you very much uh, for inviting me for this session. Uh, From Bapenas side, uh, we value this session is really quite uh, timely and important. Since uh, there are three aspects. First, uh, referring to our uh, great collaboration between those two countries, Indonesia and Australia. We've been enjoying many activities on the partnership uh, we can take the example uh, as uh, like uh, Prisma, uh, I think is everybody knowing about uh, uh, this activity. This is really quite uh, significant, giving us the um, uh, support, how uh, the small farmers that most of us working in this uh, agriculture practices in Indonesia uh, can uh, have perspective of how to link with the market access or in the big terms We are developing the market system development. I think this is a, a significant uh, partnership uh, how to bring uh, our small-scale farmers from just only thinking about the livelihood as uh, farming farming activities, but now they are uh, transforming or putting another dimension, we call it as a business dimension in their practices. The second aspect is uh, I can share with you that uh, even we are in the pandemic uh, pandemic situation at this moment, fortunately our agriculture still having a capacity to uh, contribute to our GDP and uh, having a good uh, growth growth. Uh, 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 and also with uh, other sectors, uh, information and telecommunication, uh, both of uh, those two sectors are in the positive, while uh, the positive uh, growth, uh, while at the same time, other sectors uh, have been contracting. And I think uh, uh, on this uh, uh, perspective, uh, if we are talking about the innovation, Innovation is also uh, our public narrative. If our policy narrative within our next five years development plan within uh, agriculture and food sectors, uh, if you could have a chance to see our uh, five years development plan in our RPGMN 2020 in 2024, uh, it was quite clear that the government would like to improve and improve and increase the technological content or the uh, innovation content within the application of our uh, farming activities. So, I think uh, I really hope uh, that uh, this session could contribute uh, inputs, response, uh, and the um, supportive additional uh, narrative that could be applied into our. uh uh, development activities uh uh, especially for the agri-food sector the third aspect uh, indonesia enjoying all of the uh, full system uh, uh, within our uh, food system at least there are four uh, system that uh, at this moment uh, we are uh, quite significantly intense the Of course, uh, we have a climate system. There are quite significant fluctuation at this moment. Climate change and uh, Indonesia also blessed uh, with the full ecosystem uh, from land, water, and ocean. And also, we are having a varieties of uh, the socio-economic system. Those are the three systems that, at this moment, as a government, we would like to keep this in a more resilient and sustained. Resilience is a key core of our focus at this moment. We would like to prove that this system can avoid any damage or any. Uh, not uh, bad impacts for the our food system. So uh, climate system, ecosystem, and socio-economic ecosystem, those are the strategic environment while we are working uh, at this moment especially in the agri-food system. Even into our, our food system itself, we are experiencing while in this uh, quite challenging situation in a pandemic period, we are uh, <clears throat> Uh, getting a quite significant demand shock, so I think uh, uh, this is also our big homeworks: how to maintain uh, the uh, the incentive for our farmers uh, they can uh, usually always uh, producing and the uh, quote-unquote normal basis, while at the same time they are also facing a, a challenge in the demand. So, uh, in this point, uh, government, uh, especially Bapenas, exercising uh, whether any transformation from the uh, previously just normal system into the more uh, resilient uh, and sustained uh, food system. So, uh, those are the three aspects that I can share with you at this moment, and I'm hoping through this session we can discuss more and giving Uh, more additional inputs uh, for us. And having said that, uh, I am officially or I am gladly to open uh, this discussion. Thank you very much indeed. And being keep safe and healthy. Thank you. Terima kasih.
0: Thank you, Pat. Terima kasih. Thank you for that lovely introduction and opening and touching on Uh, obviously and definitely some of the areas that we're going to discuss in the next hour, sustainability, resilience, how to make our food systems not just better, but better for the communities and environment that they exist in. So let's uh, meet our panellists with that in mind. And I'm firstly going to introduce you to Stephen McFallon, who is the co-developer of Transit Technology from CSIRO, which is Australia's National Science Research Agency. Mm -hmm. He's the co-developer of a strategic simulation model called Transit, a supply chain and logistics model originally developed to provide solutions to the investment challenges faced uh, in northern Australia, actually, as part of a government priority. The tool compares major infrastructure investments and policy changes for reducing transport costs to the multi-billion dollar agri-food industry. And uh, Stephen and his team have been looking at how this technology can be applied uh, elsewhere, including in Indonesia. And a uh, quick question to all the panellists before we get into the question areas. Stephen, what excites you the most about technology in agriculture at the moment?
2: Hi, uh, Ellen, and, and thanks very much. And, and thanks also to Vapak for that uh, that uh, guidance around reminding us about the development goals and and connections of farmers and resilience. Um, What excites me actually is, uh, uh, so being a bit of a computer nerd myself, I I really enjoy the current uh, computing environment, uh, the the advancements in computing that offers the technology to to do the type of computational challenges uh, posed by the modeling we do. So using these high performance computers and, and the fact that we have remote cloud systems um, allows us to to generate much more information and uh, provide that information more seamlessly and easily to remote users. Um, so even allowing for the fact that they may have fairly minimal computing technology, it's, it's, these advancements really um, are very beneficial, particularly those in the agricultural industry who are in remote locations.
0: Great. Thanks so much, Stephen. And uh, remote locations, I think that's a good point, which we'll touch on later. Dr Melanie Sellers is the CEO and co-founder of Genix. This is a shrimp technology company. She herself is a global shrimp or prawn expert, 20 years of experience in aquaculture and an in-depth background in shrimp aquaculture in particular. She has extensive expertise in the application of novel biotech solutions for industry, genetics and breeding programs, and the company's disease testing technology is used around the world, including in Indonesia. Welcome Dr Sellers, nice to have you with us. What excites you the most about technology and agriculture at the moment? Thank you for the introduction. I think what excites uh, us
3: here the most about technology in agriculture is the rate at which we can drive disruptive change and improve how we uh, farm our food. And so as an example, historically with genetic improvement and uh, testing for pathogens to improve production performance, it takes year on year on year on year to obtain small uh, gains in genetics and health status. But with the technology, we could disrupt these industries and make those changes within very short periods of time. And that will build in resilience as we apply
0: the innovative technologies that we're developing for the industries. That's great. Thank you, Melanie. I'd now like to go to Imran Zuri, who's the CTO and co-founder of Hara. Now, if you have an interest in Indonesia, you will have heard of HARA, H-A-R-A, a company in Indonesia which uses blockchain technology to collect and disseminate information about the agricultural sector to provide better insights from on the ground. Now the company sprang from Databot of which Imran is also a co-founder and CTO and that uses machine learning and AI including in territory management, industrial internet supply chain analytics and precision agriculture. So it all ties in together. He's a very busy man. Thank you for your time today, Imron. What excites you the most at the moment about technology and agriculture?
4: I, I think uh, for a country as diverse as as and as complex as us, I, I think accessibility of this technology is the most important. You know, a smartphone is getting cheaper. Uh, I, you can buy a new one here, an Android one for like $20. Uh, so that that is important, and I think that even though this pandemic situation uh, creates a lot of problem, but also hopefully will accelerate the penetration of technology because now you know the government trying to expedite the uh, the the coverage area of the internet and everything, but also like satellite is also getting cheaper, uh, and I think I agree with Scott. All this cloud technology makes the uh, agriculture uh, sectors, uh, especially farmers. Uh, will have access to more and more of this technology uh, to, to 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 speed up the process of the, the agricultural transformation into digital stage i think
0: that's fantastic Thank you very much. Thank you, Imran. And to our fourth speaker, Dr. Scott Waldron, who is of course a senior fellow with the Australia Indonesia Centre. We're very happy to have him on board. Also a senior research fellow and lecturer in the School of Agriculture and Food Sciences in the Faculty of Science at the University of Queensland. Uh, Scott grew up on a cattle property. Yay, I come from a farming background too. And specialises in international business, Asian studies and agricultural economics. Unfortunately, I haven't done agricultural economics, but that's why we have Scott on board. He has conducted 25 agricultural development programs in China, Southeast Asia and the Pacific and is co-lead researcher on the AIC's Pear project to look at the seaweed industry in South Sulawesi and find ways to improve production, value-add and sustainability. Uh, Scott, lovely to have you with us today. Thanks for your time. What excites you most about agricultural technology at the moment?
5: Thanks, Thanks Helen, and for the Australia Indonesia Centre and, and colleagues. Um, I, I guess the most exciting thing to happen in agriculture, probably in history, was the Green Revolution and, um, You all remember there were some brilliant Indonesian agricultural scientists working international teams that developed um, dwarf varieties, especially of rice, that were able to uptake nutrients without lodging, without falling over. And there was a whole series of technologies that uh, meant that Indonesia went from nearly being on the uh, brink of famine in the 60s to being self-sufficient in rice by the 1990s. So uh, that... Is exciting, and at the University of Queensland, um, we've got a, a uh, lot of capacity in plant breeding, and some of the things they talk about are, are quite amazing. Um, especially breeding for uh, for drought tolerance and climate adaptation, which is uh, we're very interested in, and uh, other technology, biofortification, for example. So breeding to overcome micronutrient deficiencies. Uh, amongst people, including stunting, which we know is a uh, important issue in Indonesia. So those sort of technologies are exciting and, and combined with a whole other series of uh, of technologies used widely, especially in grains. So uh, remote sensing is important where you, know, you can use satellite imagery down to 10 square meters and detect individual fields, even small fields in Indonesia to be able to do crop f- forecasting and uh, Look for nutrient deficiencies, so that combined with a whole series information technology, which is uh, which promises to revolutionise supply chain management and logistics of uh, the sort of things that we're interested in as agricultural economists and and Stephen and others in uh, in in transport and management. So that's very exciting, and I guess um, in terms of development projects. We're 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 very interested in the way that these technologies can be applied and adapted uh, on the ground in Indonesia, which is dominated by smallholder systems. Thanks, Scott.
0: Yes, well, now that you've mentioned it, let's have a look at the, I guess, the landscape of Indonesia. You work on the ground uh, in Indonesia, and as you say, that there is deep expertise within that country in the agricultural research sector already can you describe to us what uh, it, what that smallholder farmer situation looks like I mean in Australia we have lots of different setups for farming what's the the dominant scene in Indonesia that you're working with that researchers are working with
5: thanks on that's a critical cool question and um, I think in the last census 2013 um, they counted about 30 million smallholder farmers. So that's households um, and average areas of land, you know, between 0.1 so going to 0.5 hectares. And those, those um, individual, individual land areas can be divided between lots of plots. So we're talking about scattered um, farming systems and, and land areas. And that's critical in, for, for a whole range of production purposes and for technology and um, it's uh it, it it underpins underpins uh everything so the technologies um that are introduced into that landscape firstly have to be suited and adapted for smallholders, so be appropriate in that environment and there's a whole series of issues then about the dissemination and the extension of technologies amongst um those sort of fragmented structures and uh and that it's uh, quite fascinating to see how that works in indonesia um and indonesia's got a a very large um and highly capable extension system so talking a whole series of systems from uh, national down to village level and often overlaid each other that are trying to disseminate um research and technology into those smallholder systems. So that's critical to understand. And um, maybe the Indonesian uh, Mm. colleagues here can speak a bit about that. But there's a whole range of other institutional structures that are important in that, especially um, group structures at local levels. So the way that uh, Kolomboks and groups, cooperatives work, um, to bring farmers together so that they can work on production and marketing inputs, parts of the farming systems. It's very important. And then, overlaid on top of that, I guess there are more corporatized systems. So, that then um, issues of the way that big companies, so they might be on the inputs side, fertilizer, pesticide companies, deal with, you know, distribute inputs to those farmers. And how processing companies, as it could be flour mills or abattoirs or whatever, obtain product from those smallholder farmers. And uh, those structures are are very interesting.
0: That's a great rundown. Thank you. And as you mentioned, we, um, you know, there, there are so many layers and this is something, Imran Zuri, I'll bring you into the conversation because this is what you were dealing with as a technology company on the ground working with smallholder farmers. How difficult was it initially to work with those farmers and get them to share their information and, and make them think about the technology and using it? Uh,
4: yes, it's, it's quite difficult because uh, uh, for some people who who is not familiar with Indonesia, we are, uh, like I said, a diverse country. So even a simple information that is required, for example, for the banks to help them to finance their productions, like how big is your land? (laughs) It can be quite tricky to collect. Because uh, here, I think uh, we have at least 30 major different measurement units uh, in Indonesia, for example. So if you're in Bali and ask the Balinese farmer, they will say, oh, my land is about uh, uh, 20 other and if you go to java they will say oh, my land is 200 ubins and 4 tumbaks and and some of these measurements are not actually quite exact so yeah so so it's it's it, it can be quite challenging and even even the the, the farmers themselves doesn't not all of them have proper identity uh, so 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 we have to start small uh, take baby steps and also introduce the right technology uh, with the right people as well. So you cannot just design everything from your boardroom. (laughs) You have to go to the field and really understand how they work to to be able to help them to collect all this information. So what we do is to create a simple applications and with the help of the local young people who are more addressed to this technology, help the farmers, for example, to land to do land tagging. you know it's a, we, we create a very simple apps using GPS in their in a smartphone to, so the farmers can just walk around the, the land so then we have a, a, a more much more uh, precise information of uh, how big the land size is and also the land location and the polygon. So this, this, this critical information then uh, will be helpful for the banks to help them and also other stakeholders. So that's just an example of getting just one information. Okay. So, so yeah, yeah but, but, uh, but it's there, not impossible.
0: Right. Was was How do the local farmers feel about using technology? Were they a bit um, unsure at first or even suspicious about what you were trying to do?
4: Uh, of course, uh, uh, it's not always that easy. and. And sometimes the, the surprise is because they see the benefit from other angles. Like, for example, uh, when they, we, we first helped them uh, measure their land, and they were quite thankful to us because finally they said, oh, at least I know now when my father inherited the land, he was quite fair. <laughs> so, fair so nice. I did. So my brother doesn't get more than me. So yeah. <laughs> it's okay. So you know, uh, but (laughs) so so yeah. So you have to work within their frame of mind. So I think the biggest challenge is how to make technology relevant to them, uh, to to for them.
0: Mm. Thank you, and uh, I will mention that we do have our our chat room or our Q and A open. If you'd like to pop a question in there sometime. during the course of the webinar, we'll definitely have a look at them and, and pick some up. We've talked about the smallholder farmers, and I'm going to go to Dr Melanie Sellers now because my understanding, Melanie, is that you're working from our discussion with a, a, a bigger kind of farming, one that um, is very switched on to the problem that they want to solve. Can you explain to us the work that you're doing in Indonesia? Sure,
3: thank you. Uh, so we're working with... Um, I guess, medium to larger scale shrimp farmers in Indonesia to be able to help them to identify the risks of production earlier. So one of the biggest production risks in shrimp culture are pathogens or diseases. And so using the GenX technology, we're able to tell them three to four weeks earlier than when they have sick animals what pathogens in their culture systems and those pathogens are about to increase in presence and prevalence. And so with that information, we're helping farmers to detect pathogens early and be able to implement management decisions that improve the profitability of a crop. Now, those management decisions uh, can be very basic things, but they're very impactful in terms of the profit that the farmers are achieving. Uh, so if a farmer, for example, detects pathogen four weeks earlier than when he sees sick shrimp, He can say, well, I have aerators, so I can put more air into my ponds and my shrimp will grow better and be able to withstand the pathogen as they grow and he'll still have a very profitable crop. Or he may be able to reduce feed inputs, um, stop sharing the nets of that pond with the other ponds, tell his neighbors to be cautious and wary. So uh, we're working with these uh, medium to larger shrimp production companies throughout the grow-out periods and also with their broodstock immaturation and their post larvae, their seed seedstock, to be able to uh, have an early detector of these risks and to be able to make these very um,
0: important management decisions that make their crops profitable. So when we were discussing this, Melanie, I, I was thinking oh, pathogens in shrimp, that sounds rather niche and confined as a problem for food production, but in fact, it's a significant problem all around the world. And can can you just explain how widespread this is and why um, a medium sized business in Indonesia is keen to work with that technology? Sure, so um, across our food production
3: sector, as, we, as humans produce their food, we tend to grow them at higher and higher densities in order to be able to produce them cost effectively. Uh, and as we, as we do this, whether it's your shrimp or your um, cattle, uh, etc., we start to come into the problem of pathogens during the production system or diseases during the production system. And because they're in close contact with each other, we start to get the movement and spread of diseases and pathogens much more rapidly. And so this is a common problem um, that we can really help to better understand strategies so that we can start to um, have a more secure food production channel uh, for humans.
0: Hmm. I think sometimes we forget about the impact that um, our, the, the changes in farming have and, and the concurrent problems that brings up. Um, I'd like to go to Stephen McFallon now. You've raised lots of points, which we'll come back to, Melanie. But, Stephen, I'm I'm just sort of aware that all of this talk about food and technology, um, you still need to get it to the market. You still need to have a supply chain in place. You still need to have a logistics operation that you can trust. If you're going into a country like Indonesia, does your system help measure that, help people look at what,
2: that might look like, so to speak? Um, yeah, hi, Helen. Um, uh, yeah, well, yes, exactly. I mean, the the, uh, the the tool, the transit tool was developed really to provide some evidence for decision makers around uh, investment in logistics. Um, so to enable us to do that, we, we had to take on some of the challenges that Imron outlined in terms of going to the field and understanding what are the processes um, that are there um, and uh, uh, make sure we capture them in our, in our model. Um, we, we also um, had to bear in mind the, the challenge that uh, Scott outlined at you know, 30 odd million smallholder farmers, um, you now we've got to capture the information across a very broad range of farming techniques, etc. So um, uh, our model essentially follows the, uh, the logistics process from the farm through the processes and distribution systems right through to market, and we, we capture that information and, and uh, uh, embed it into our models. Um, and when we run the models so with that high computing form, high performance computing, we we end up with a whole range of output. Um, you know that information on its own is, is not much good unless you can get the information to the decision makers. So we we've uh, developed a some web technology to enable. Those users to actually get at that information and look into you know what might be priority areas for um, for investment. Um, yeah, so so yeah, uh, the biggest challenge for us really is is to to bring in the local logistics challenges. Um, uh, you know, in, in Indonesia, being an island nation, the biggest challenge for us was understanding the challenge of the domestic shipping, uh, but we're getting through that and we're making some really good headway in terms of. Um, uh, Modeling that supply chain and giving information out.
0: Okay, fantastic. And Imran, can I go to you? Do you um, you collect data for on the ground farmers? Do you look at the supply chain as well? Is that part of your remit? Uh,
4: yes, the end goal is actually to uh, to to at some point map all this, the whole fa- uh, supply chain and value chain within the agriculture sector, because. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, we, agriculture data in Indonesia is practically almost, if I can say, non-existent in the granular level. Uh, so that's why, due to this asymmetric information, that's why, like, in food crop, for example, we have so many layers. Like, in, in rice, I think it's up to 25 layers, which is ridiculous, you know? Uh, so uh, So, yeah, so that's why we... We also use uh, 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 blockchain technology in, in, for practical terms, because this, by rec- by having uh, uh, all the stakeholders that we work with recorded all this uh, essential transaction in a in a unified single, even though distributed ledgers, to make it easier for us to consolidate all this information and make it a, make it a traceable and visible for everybody to see, while at the same time also protecting the 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 data for of the farmers uh, so uh, they are actually involved in this uh, whole process since the beginning. Uh, uh, right now we 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 work together also with Prisma since in, in the beginning to to experiment uh, the, uh, to pilot on this. so uh, first we work with the farmers uh, which is collecting the the farmers' identity and their farmland and so on. And then right now we already uh, work with uh, financing uh, uh, institutions like banks. And also after two and a half years of hard, confi- of hard discussion finally convince uh, insurance company to also uh, in, the, in the ecosystem to provide uh, crop insurance for the farmers. So uh, now we also working again with the help of Prisma to map up all these uh, farm inputs uh, uh, stores uh, uh, within the area. So we want to create a closed loop ecosystem for these uh, farmers, uh, and do this uh, after this pandemic situation. Now we actually uh, start moving uh, to downstreams. So we also work with other startups who are in the marketplace uh, uh, area to to also uh, uh, join us in this ecosystem. So hopefully, by by working together with other uh, more 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 people within the ecosystem then slowly but sure we can start collecting all this information uh, on the whole uh, supply chain uh, and 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 hopefully once we do that then we can start uh, optimizing the the process uh, organically i think
0: Thanks, everyone. Sorry, I'm just checking some of the questions that are coming through, and I'm going to go to a few of them um, just because of all the points that all the speakers have raised. I'm going to start with one um, from Pablo Miguenz from the Monash Business School. Can you give some examples of agriculture subsectors where Indonesia has a competitive advantage? Uh, Scott, I wonder if you might be best placed to answer this one. Or um, anyone else put
5: up? Yes, yeah, sure. i I can comment on that um i guess there's a number of different ways to look at competitive advantage and especially through productivity but uh, one way is through export performance and um yeah i mean indonesia is uh well known as being um a very big exporter of plantation crops or what's called the state crops in indonesia so things like rubber and cocoa palm coffee tea um Um, So Indonesia has a comparative advantage um, in those crops because of the agroclimatic conditions. But um, interestingly, even in those big crop, those big plantation crops, which probably started in colonial era, um, all of those now are dominated by smallholders. And so um, smallholders are participating in that growth, and it's a source of competitive advantage um, for Indonesia. To, to have that many many small holders in those estate crops and other things that we work in, including um, coastal fisheries and seaweed, and um, and I guess at maybe a level down a medium level export performance, we're talking about things like fruits and nuts, um, and there's a lot of variability. Indonesia imports a lot of potatoes and exports a lot of spices, for example, um, and I guess that the at the the end that most um, economists would say that Indonesia has less of a comparative advantage in those big, broad-acre crops of cereals and and grains. Uh, But there's a lot of nuances in there. For for example, beef cattle. Does Indonesia have a competitive advantage in beef cattle? And uh, you have to get down to that subsectoral level, which I think the question is about. Uh, Indonesia doesn't have a competitive advantage in cow-calf production, right? Uh, because it needs to be low cost, but it does have a competitive advantage in feedlots where there's intensive feeding and um, there's cheap sources of feed, especially from those plantation crops that we talked about earlier. So there's a lot of nuance there. But that's a quick
0: overview. Yeah, a big question and well answered. Thank you. Um, Got a couple more questions from our audience. I'm going to go to Stephen first. There's one directly to you from Teddy Kaye who would be the best institution to host your model here in Indonesia, I'm guessing? How how can the private sector access the data, the modeling? As Imran said, reliable agricultural data is difficult to access in Indonesia. This gives you a good chance to explain how you collect data on the ground, I guess, Um, Stephen. Uh,
2: Yeah, um, thanks very much, uh, Teddy. it is a twofold question, so the, the first question is about how do we we get the data on the ground. So we, we've teamed up with a, a group of local researchers in Indonesia uh, through Petri Mitra Asia Lestaria, um, led by John Ackerman. Um, and that team works very hard to arrange field visits for us to, to go and see the various crops um, through the whole supply chain, from the field through to the various processes, rice processes or sugar refineries, um, feedlots. Uh, right through the market. So um, so we follow that through and we, we take uh, we collect a lot of data along the way about um, elements of the supply chain and logistics process. Um, so that information is highly available and you know you don't get it from downloading data sheets. If you've got to be on the ground to collect that. Um, so we take that information and we combine it with the best information we can get from the various ministries around um you know, harvest yields, etc. Um, so, the Ministry of Agriculture and uh, Ministry of Transport and the likes um, have been very supportive. Uh, we've, we've met with them a number of times and they have provided us some really useful information around that sort of thing. Uh, as of um, enterprises such as Bulog, um, uh, et cetera, I think the second part of the question is who, who might host it? Um, mm-hmm. Look, there's a, there's a whole heap of discussion there uh, around that. Um, you know, I suspect that Bapanas may well be uh, an agency that would be uh, an ideal candidate. Um, you know, our hopes is that the tool will be embedded in, in government, um, be it Bupinus or other, uh, and, and supported with um, trained in-house technical capability to add capacity for these agencies. Because um, the tool can do more than just give you the, the lay of the land. So it doesn't just give you a baseline. Once you've got that and you're satisfied it looks about right, you can then change elements of the system and see what sort of productivity benefits might arise. Uh, and that's probably one of the, the, the key values of the tool. Um, so you can compare a range of different investment options and see where you might get productivity benefits and also where those benefits play out. So you know whether they're sort of focused on one part of the system or whether they, they get, end up downstream down to the smallholders or et cetera. Mm. Um, look, I could go on. I could yes. go on. No, but... no.
0: I think I think that gives us a good idea, and, and the fact that you know our, our Bapanas, us um, who we had the director of agriculture as our guest speaker, is is taking interest in this sort of technology. It gives you some idea of the direction that Indonesia wants to move in, and how that aligns with their policies as well. Um, We have another question, and I'm going to go to Melanie for this. Melanie, because of your experience as a company going into Indonesia and working with a medium-sized to larger business, um, the question is from Richard Humphreys. Is technology enabling larger companies an entry into the agricultural sector in Indonesia, or is the focus on enabling local farmers to improve their production? Um, Given the work that you've been doing so far, Melanie, would you mind answering that? Yeah, thank you. So I I think it's a combination of
3: of both of those. Uh, At the moment, it really is focusing on the the current players in the market and uh, disrupting how they farm shrimp to improve profitability. But there is a lot of interest uh, from the investors, especially in the archipelago region for shrimp production, um, as they look to expand in those regions. And there's a lot of government initiatives in Indonesia, which are supporting those. And so for those investors, um, it, it really will just drive uh, disruptive and a different type of business model for shrimp farming as they invest and move into that. So um, I'd say it's a combination of both. Uh, definitely uh, people that are already farming and implementing the GenX technologies are on the ground doing that today. Um, whereas your, your investment group are um, starting to talk about it and look about, look at how to implement that. Uh, moving forward,
0: that's great. Thanks so much, Melanie. Um, you mentioned you've all mentioned scale, and um, I'd like to ask Emron about this because one of the key challenges, or one of the key elements that you think needs some that there needs to be focus, is not just um, helping farmers but creating sustainable agriculture um, and showing that it's sustainable quickly. Because the amount of arable land in Indonesia is going to other sectors and uses. And you also mentioned, Imran, not only do we need to prove the, the value of agriculture, but to have technologies that can scale up quite quickly. Can you just talk us through that a bit, why you why you have that view? Uh,
4: yes, because, like, for example, in food crops, the smallholder farmers really are small. <laughs> The average uh, land in Java, for example, for rice, uh, uh, is uh, around 0.28 uh, hectares. So it's a quarter of hectares. You know, uh, it's it's if if we don't do something for a lot of these farmers, it's not enough to make a living. So the tendency is uh, for a lot of them to try, trying to sell the land. So I I don't I don't know the latest one, but I think that at some point the uh, the average the uh, uh, Land conversion in this country is around 4%. So we have to move fast. We have to move quickly. That's why, uh, for example, that's why the way we collect information is to participatory models. So we, it's pretty much like the Uber version of this, uh, you know, <laughs> in our case. So, so we encourage people to download the apps and then we give them incentive to help us collect information. And then the way we collect information, it also has to be, up so it it can be scaled uh, fast like for example that's why it's important for us to collect the land polygons for example because once we have the land polygons then we can use satellite the cheap satellite uh, technology uh, like the one we used uh, in the past the the planets and now with the Japanese company called access space then we can monitor and predict the growth uh, uh, much more uh, easily without having to ask the individual farmers uh, right now, uh, Axel Space can give us a uh, 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 satellite images uh, 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 every 15 days, and next year, I think they promise us every three days. So, by combining these uh, participatory models, you know, uh, uh, pretty much like U- Uber version of of it, and also th- using this other technology, and by thinking through what kind of data, so we don't try to collect as many data as possible, but uh, critical data that we can use. To make this process scaled, and I think the other, the other thing, the strategy that we have to use is collaboration. So we, we collaborate with banks, and we collaborate with insurance company. We collaborate with other uh, agri tech, like for example, in insurance, we collaborate with uh, another startup uh, that specialize in insure tech. In marketplace, we collaborate with other uh, uh, agri tech also that specialize in marketplace. I, I think if uh, if uh, we have to to Work in collaborative fashion, and we have to create a platform that allows this, uh, uh, this, uh, p- uh, all these components to work together. So, so we can scale this uh, 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 as fast as possible. That's mm-hmm. the the objective because we are racing against this uh, this uh, land conversion <laughs> rate. Right? Like in in some part of Java, it's even worse. I think in some area. Uh, is even go as high as 8%. Imagine that, 8% land conversion, that means in 15 years, that area doesn't have any agricultural land, which <laughs> mm. is sad.
0: is a, a sobering statistic. Steve, uh, Scott Walden, sorry, um, I'm going to go to you. I've got a question which I think ties in with some of the research that, you, well, your research perspective will help. Uh, in beef and seaweed in Indonesia, it reveals a lot about those sectors and where innovation is needed in those sectors and perhaps where other uh, the technology from other places can be of value. And we have a question from Paul McArdle on the recent trade agreement or economic agreement between the two countries, um, which talks about market complementary um, finding industries that have complementation. So what areas or types of enterprises might fit that narrative? And, and you seeing that in the research you're doing in the beef and seaweed sectors.
5: Um, well, as I was um, alluding to before, um, beef is one sector where there is a lot of complementarity between, um, between Australia and Indonesia, and, and there are others, especially in grains, for the reasons we're talking about, but. Um, I might just um, talk a little bit about seaweed, can, because this is the subject of um, the, the project we're doing for the partnership for australia Indonesia research, and um, it's quite fascinating, really, that um, in the nineties Indonesia produced very little seaweed, and it's gone to a position now where it dominates the production of um, red seaweeds, so that are especially used uh, for carrageenan, so which is used as a gelling. Compound in, in foods. Um, and Indonesia, the, the, the issue um, that is outlined by the, by including Bapinda and presidential decree, government roadmap is uh, Indonesia produces all this seaweed. Um, the problem is that it's being exported in unrefined or semi refined um, form. So the question then is how Indonesia can add value to that product. So do more domestic processing um, to increase the value of the product, to increase employment, to increase government revenues so they can provide services. And uh, it's, it's it's a very interesting in industry. That, and Indonesia is trying to promote this by generating new food products, um, the use of seaweeds in cosmetics and pharmaceuticals, fertilisers, biofuels, um, uh, with a lot of... Food chemists and in, in industrial organisation specialists working through that, and um, I, I think this sort of thing is critical for Indonesia. So instead of just ex- exporting raw products, to be able to do more value adding and move up global value chains uh, to generate more industry, more uh, activity. And we're talking about agricultural technologies here, but. Um, Really, a lot of those off-farm technologies in the processing sector is critical for for getting agriculture moving, increasing production, increasing income for smallholders.
0: That's great. Thanks, Scott, for, for giving us that. Uh, we've got time for one more question and or maybe two. Let's see how we go. I'm going to direct this to Stephen because this is a a problem uh, that exists not just well not a problem it's it's the way the system's set up in different countries in Indonesia. This question from Yoga Muda Aditya, uh, the farmers are facing a price risk because of the many intermediate middle men. Um, do you see the farm-to-table agri-tech could solve this sort of problem or situation? Obviously, it means you know neighbors in different parts of that supply chain uh, and in their opinion, many agritech act just like the digital middleman. Ooh, and I might go to Imran for that. So there we mm-hmm. go, a two-parter. Um, Stephen, with you for a start, looking at those, uh, you know, those sort of grey areas, I guess, that come up um, in, in the agricultural sector and getting food to the consumer.
2: Uh, yeah, so that's, um, that's a good question. I, I think, uh, uh, first of all, the, the, the tool that we're developing um, doesn't set to uh, um, set the agenda. It sets to provide information to decision makers, and it tries to quantify, um, you know, costs along the supply chain. So, uh, so when you talk about those middlemen, you know, some of them are very important. I suspect to the whole process in that uh, they connect um, farmers to markets, and uh, and some of them may. You know, take advantage of that situation. Um, but uh, what we try to do in the model is to capture that whole supply chain and and those actors in the supply chain, and attribute uh, a cost function to them. So we can see when we look at the whole system. So not not just uh, um, this particular supply chain, but the the whole industry supply chain. We can then start to see just what impact. Each of those actors have across the supply chain, and you know where there might be a need to to um, to take some steps to improve the uh, the uh, process. Um, so it may not be about uh, investing in roads or, or ports. It may actually be about regulations, etc., to improve the um, uh, the process flows. Uh, so the tool sets out to to provide that sort of information to the decision makers. Um, the second question about, um, you know, the, the, the grey areas, um, you know, some of the challenges in transporting across the country have been in overloading and, um, you know, uh, we've been urged by the number of stakeholders not to forget grey costs, which, which exist. So, um, you know, we're trying to capture those elements also in it, uh, not to make a judgment on them, but simply to have that information available for the decision makers to actually then decide how they might deal with it and where they can target their... Uh, regulations or, or um, actions
0: thank you and a res- quick response from Pat technology middle men how does it all work together uh,
4: yes uh, I think uh, again we have to do this in, in baby steps like for example in food crops you know they can go as as much as twenty five layers I think it's it's very It's very difficult if we want to reduce that to just three layers at at the moment. What what we can do is uh, uh, like uh, uh, Steve mentions, you know, eliminate the useless ones because some of these middlemen are still quite useful and they're very important in the structure. But there are also a lot of the useless (laughs) middlemen who actually just contribute more to the cost. So if we can reduce that to half, that's already a a a big step, I think, and. so yeah so that from farm to table directly is still a long way it's not that easy uh i don't think there is any uh, startup who can actually do that uh at the moment you know directly from farm to table but i think uh if the all this this architect startups start collaborating with one another and they actually attack one point in the value chain uh focus in in one and part of, of the value chain i think we can we can lower and lower the, the number of the, these layers uh, in the futures, uh, and um, uh, and 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 I think uh, because the opportunity is so big, you know. Uh, like I mentioned to you, Helen, right now uh, it's quite ironic that these farmers, these poor people, actually living an expensive life. <laughs> it's it's very expensive to be poor, like in, in any developing countries, right? For example, they pay up to $90, hundred twenty uh, percent of interest for the financing. Uh, you know so so there are a lot of components uh, in the granular level that we can optimize a lot. and right now because of the small lands, so a lot of them are not mechanized. So if we can make if, if can, we can do con- land consolidation and then for our harvest we can mechanize it. That's already another fifty percent uh, lower of the co- of, of the cost. You know, so there's a lot of things that we can do, and then we also need a lot of investment. For example, for modern mills. So then, like for example, in rice production, then we have we can utilize all the com, uh, rice component from end to end. You know, so that means another revenue for farmers. So uh, a lot of these uh, uh, things will contribute uh, a lot to the increase of productivity. if we look
0: productivity and and income. That's great. Thank you so much, Imran. Yeah. Which is, of course, one of the the missions of HARA is to help farmers on the ground. Last question. I can sneak one in very quickly to Dr. Melanie Sellers. Um, Melanie, I'm curious to know, given that you're just in Indonesia, what's your overall view of their country's desire to improve not just food production, but sustainability?
3: Yeah, it's quite incredible. Indonesia really uh, is a country that is seeking uh, these inputs actively. Uh, They're very actively looking for uh, the high-tech solutions and uh, willing to learn and adjust their farming behaviours to um, make the best of these opportunities. So I've been pleasantly surprised, to tell you the truth, um, about the proactive nature of the people, um,
0: particularly in the shrimp industry. Um, that's that's a great comment to end on thanks melanie thanks for your perspective and thank you to all our speakers today we could have talked for so much longer thank you for your questions i'm sorry we didn't get to all of them uh we do have um some closing remarks but uh i'd just like to acknowledge um the time of dr scott waldron dr melanie sellers imran zuri and stephen mcfallon all very busy people with lots of knowledge and we really I appreciate you joining our conversation today. Thank you so much again. And now to end this great in conversation on agricultural technology and investment between Indonesia and Australia, I'd like to invite Alison Duncan to the room, the Minister Councillor for Economic Investment and Infrastructure at the Australian Embassy in Jakarta, of course, for the Australian government. Alison, thank you so much for joining us today.
6: Thanks, Helen. Uh, and it's great to see such good, presence, good participation in the event. Um, I'd like to echo your thanks to Stephen, Melanie, Scott and Imran for such an interesting and useful conversation. Um, I really enjoyed their insights on how innovation is able to transform Indonesia's agriculture sector and supply chains. It's clear that there are some really good opportunities here for smart investors and for ag tech companies in Australia. And of course, with our new Indonesia-Australia Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement, um, it addresses some of the impediments to increasing Australian investment in Indonesia. For example, Indonesia has guaranteed under IASEPA that majority Australian owned businesses can operate railways and road transport infrastructure, which is a great opportunity for investment in the agriculture supply chain. I welcome the partnership between CSIRO and Bapanas to further develop transit for Indonesia. As we heard from Stephen today, strategic supply chain investment has the potential to unlock significant productivity growth, and it also supports employment in Indonesia, and both of those things will help to power Indonesia's post-COVID economic recovery. I hope that this collaboration will enable closer economic investment and investment ties between our countries, to support inclusive growth. I also recognise the great work of Australian and Indonesian innovators to improve the productivity of this really important sector. And it's been great to hear today from both GenX and Hara about the transformative impact their technologies are having in Indonesia. And um, Pak Anang and Pak Imron both talked about our PRISMA program. Um, That's our partnership for promoting rural income through supportive markets in agriculture. Um, And it's great that um, HARA is collaborating with Prisma. Um, There's clear alignment here with our mission to help spur growth along the value chain by reducing constraints and barriers to farmer productivity. I think the discussion today has also really highlighted the power of collaboration between Australian and Indonesian researchers It's been great to hear from Scott about how the partnerships fostered through the Australia Indonesia Centre's PAIR program are helping to boost production, add value and support sustainability. And I'd also like to, of course, thank AIC for hosting this great discussion as part of their In Conversation speaker series. And thanks to Helen for moderating. Uh, The Australian government is always keen to support our ongoing collaboration with Indonesian partners and to promote ag tech and and investment in Indonesia. So, thanks again to everyone for participating.
0: Thanks, Alison Duncan, for those very kind words. We appreciate that and great to have you join us for the webinar today. Now, we do have a little survey at the end. We'd love you to fill that out, just so that we know we're delivering uh, something of value to you. I'd also like to remind you about our Real Oz Ind short film festival slash competition, the winners have been announced and we got them up online until the end, um, sorry, until the 1st of December, end of this, of November, lost track of the months, Uh, until the 1st of December, you can go on and actually see the winning films, there's some brilliant short films in there, Um, hopefully that just showed you the webpage that you can go to. Um, You can watch it at your leisure and also learn more about this competition, Film Festival, which has been going for five years now. We have a retrospective available as well. Now, this webinar actually finishes our In Conversation series for the year. Sad to see it go. Uh, But we will be back um, with some more exciting discussions. We're planning those at the moment. And, of course, we will be looking at how Indonesia and Australia can grow stronger together and be stronger partners in the region so keep an eye out we'll be keeping uh, information coming to your email or to your whatsapp or however you get it to let you know what we're up to and how you can join into our next conversation thank you for your time and looking forward to having you join us again soon